This is the Pirate Radio Podcast. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast. I know you're used to hearing a number of different voices on this platform, but my name is Mac McCarthy, and I'm hoping to be another regular voice on the podcast going forward. I've been working in Division I college athletics since 1974, and while that makes me a really old guy, it also means I've seen a lot and crossed paths with a number of good folks in my time. While I technically retired a decade ago, I've stayed very active in college sports by being a color analyst on television and radio, as well as doing regular radio shows around the country and podcasts in the region. The plan for me on this podcast is to touch on a variety of subjects, some national, some local, and have a diverse group of guests that I think will be of interest to our listeners. I certainly have some opinions, some of those are even informed, about the hot topics of college athletics, of which there's no shortage in this chaotic time. You should definitely anticipate the occasional passionate rant about some of these issues when warranted, in my opinion. By the way, that's what I'm calling my version of this podcast, IMO, and while it usually stands for In My Opinion, I'm going to personalize it and make it in Mac's opinion, and I'll have a lot of those. I'm sincerely interested in your opinions on these topics or any topics you think we need to discuss. Also, if you have any suggestions about folks you'd like to hear on this platform, just let me know. I'll be on Pirate Radio Live with Clip Rock and crew every Tuesday afternoon at 3. Well, here on the Pirate Radio Podcast, my first guest as the host of the podcast is a good friend, Brian Medor. Now, everybody here knows Brian Medor. Everybody listening knows Brian Medor. And we've had a lot of conversations. You've heard him talk a lot, even on this station. But we've got some questions today that I don't think he's necessarily been asked. Uh, but but Brian has been a, an icon here in the community for a long time, now works at ECU in the athletic department. And uh, Brian, welcome to the podcast. That's a lofty introduction, it but really thank was. you. Can you live up to all that? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've managed not to get fired over the years. I did get pulled off a radio show once, and now you're telling me you're gonna, I have to answer things I haven't already answered. Now I know I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah, I, ju- I jumped the, the uh, shark when I said icon. <laughs> yes, you did. You're going for those rating points, aren't you, Fonzie? All right, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of your relationship with East Carolina University. But first, everybody knows you work at ECU, but tell everybody exactly what your job is. Okay, so it switched a lot since you were the one of the ones who suckered me into coming over and leaving TV. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah you did do that. Uh, no, um, so when I first started, they just the idea was I would be a media specialist. So I would come in, do interviews with coaches, players, features, things like that. And I always, my basic job that I had all three seasons, you had football, basketball, baseball shows, TV shows. So at the time when you guys uh, suckered me over, I believe we had just started Ruffin Me Neal's television show and that was 2010 when I, when I came here, I think it was January of 2011. Anyway, uh, but so I, I take care of all the TV shows, production. Sometimes I do features, um, so I voiceover stuff if I need to. Um, I do a lot of heavy lifting, which means I'm carrying Brian Bailey most of the time because he hosts the show now, <laughs> as you well know. Uh, I worked with Jeff Charles for many years. I missed that guy. We had a great relationship. and, and um, But over the years, uh, still staying in touch when I left television, uh, staying in touch with the players and the coaches was really important to me. And 
whatever uh, job I went went to next. And you guys teed up a, a perfect one to get into the, the state system and work for the school that you know I pulled for for most of my life. Now you you actually went there sort of in the video department, yep. but now you're more in the it's marketing, market. right? 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 And that was uh, the previous administration. Um, they wanted to have a video guy that they could use for whether it was commercials or or special projects. Like uh, for example, uh, one of the ones that went viral that I did was the uh, uh, just uh, the Justin Timberlake song um, "Can't Stop the Feeling," and we had Zay Jones come in and host it. They wanted me to do something creative, have fun with it, and getting Justin Timberlake to retweet it, and it went viral, and we had a great time doing it. Now, did I get a bonus for any of that? No, but we had fun doing it, and it's <laughs> and I, it was it was right in my wheelhouse because I love working with the student athletes, and that was that was a lot of fun to do that one particular. Um, uh, thing that I did that was outside of my normal job responsibility, which is the coaches show. And football intros, all yeah. these kind of things, the basketball intros. So when You've we first been involved in all those, right? In the beginning, I was, and then and then. Um, uh, Curtis Thiemann out of Port City Films in Wilmington. Um, I, I, yes, great guy. I wanted to uh, I wanted to go up bigger. And uh, Greg Pierce, uh, who I worked for at the time, he was all for it. He wanted to see what this guy could do, and he came over and did a phenomenal job in the intro videos for football. We did them before, and they were just okay. They just lacked a, a cinematography look, a professionalism that we just didn't. You know, we didn't have the kind of cameras and the uh, and the time more than anything else to do that kind of a job. And he took our our football intro videos to another level well the other ones had to step up so they created a, a creative team over there who now takes care of basketball and baseball intro videos and this year will be the first year they've done the uh, football intro video so i'm really curious to see how that turns out because the bar has been raised yeah well, there have been some great ones through the years for sure all the way back to to when it was done in-house oh yeah um now let's take a flashback all the way back to you growing up who were you a fan of growing up in North Carolina? See, this is a set of questions. You already know the answer. It's like you know, you go back and you you think back to the girls you may have been, uh, you may have gone with, for lack of a better word, back in high school. That's a or different before. show. No, no, I think it's a great analogy though. <laughs> and then you look back and you go, "Wow, I actually went out with that whiny." Uh, gripey uh, girl from back in the day. I can't believe I ever went out with that girl. And uh, your shirt gives it away. Uh, I was a North Carolina Tar Heel fan all the way up it, until I started going to ECU and I backed away from it because, I, I mean, and eventually once I started covering them, that's an exact example. That that analogy works perfectly with me. I can't believe I ever pulled for that bunch. <laughs> it's, I'm sh- it's shameful, Mac. It's shameful. But, who, who, but I, who was the big deal when you were growing up? I, I remember what year it was. Fifth Is it grade. Jordan? No, oh yeah, of course it was Jordan. But he was only a freshman. The year I started liking Carolina, obviously they won the national championship. But my my uh, fifth grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Acock, my favorite teacher growing up until I got to high school, was a huge Tar Heel fan. And so back then, you know, this is the triangle. It's Fuquay Arena. Uh, we're right in the middle of it. You know, Tobacco Road. We're we are, everybody was either a, a Carolina State fringe Duke or Wake Forest guys. It was mostly Carolina and State. And they would roll the TVs in. Those aren't old. They, you know, people are, it's not revisionist history. They did that. They are, My teacher rolled a TV into the um, classroom oh, yeah. and we'd watch the 12 o'clock game. And then we'd get home in time to watch the next game. And then you, the rest of the night was all watching the ACC basketball. And, and back then, if you remember those years, the early 80s, you knew all the coaches were eight teams in the ACC. Terry Holland with Virginia. Um, back then, it was Cliff Ellis at Clemson. Coach K had just gotten his start. Um, Jimmy V, of course, right down the road. Um, oh, Lefty. Can't leave Lefty out in Maryland. Bobby Krim is down at Georgia Tech. Um, I think I all owed him over at Wake Forest. So you you knew all the coaches. You knew the players. And it was just, it was more intimate. And, and everybody was into it. So you had to pick a side. And so my teacher was a huge Carolina fan. 
And I loved I loved the way Jordan played. But he was a freshman. Sam Perkins, Sleepy Sam, watching him and Worthy and those guys was fun to watch. And so eighty two, they win the national championship. Following year, obviously NC State wins it. So growing up, it was real easy to fall in line with one of those schools. And then and then of course it was basketball driven. And then football was kind of oh by the way. And uh, that's one of the reasons I think I started switching because I enjoyed the the uh, football culture here once I got to school. All right, how did you get to school? Why did you come to East Carolina? <laughs> how I got into school is the bigger question. Um, the, I mean, I, I had really good SAT scores. I had no real chance of getting into North Carolina. I did visit the campus once. Um, I visited uh, Wilmington and, uh, and then Greenville. I was going to go to Wilmington, um, but they had no football. I wanted a school. I wanted to see. It was 1987 when um, East Carolina went into Raleigh and beat them. And, you know, they, they got in some little bit of trouble for tearing up the field or breaking down the, the goalposts and some you know, shenanigans broke out. And that but appealed to you. It did. I was like, <laughs> who is, who are these guys that they, they will come over here and do that? I think that's incredible. I, I thought it was the, the neatest thing. So when I visited the campus, I mean, the campus didn't blow me away, but I I see the big stadium. And to me, it was big back then. And then obviously it's much bigger now, but they didn't have that at Wilmington. Wilmington's real, it's kind of, you know, it was flat. It just, it didn't appeal to me. So I decided to come to East Carolina and, and um, from there, you know, it was, it was really easy to fall in love with the school. For me, it was anyway. Okay, to the extent that you can on a on a public radio show, uh, talk about your your life here as student, a student, student and, and what was going on in athletics at that time. Okay, at that time, if you you got to think about when I, when I when I arrived in the fall of '89, you know, East Carolina football is on an uptick, you know, and you get to '90, '91. I was in the dorm my freshman year. I, I somehow got into Scott Hall the only dorm on the hill that had air conditioning and one of the few on campus so i was lucky you know i mean everyone wanted to come hang out in our suite because you know we were we didn't have fans in the window back then you had box fans in your windows right <laughs> so that's how you stay cool so you know we would have these little get-togethers and we'd play cards and, and um and then we'd walk over to the football stadium from the dorm and and we'd tailgate and and just and, and just submerge ourselves into the culture of ecu football and then unfortunately when basketball who was the coach our, uh, at the time it was bill lewis Okay. Yeah, and um, and so the '91 season, you know, it was, I think it was my I joke with people it was my second sophomore year. Um, <laughs> it may have been the third one actually. Now that I do the math, but anyway, um, no. So uh, we didn't miss a home game, and it was an incredible. I mean, the pit game, the place was rocking. The student section back then was on the north side, you know, because there was no boneyard. So every game seemed to go down to the wire or had some kind of crazy finish. And they go on the road, and the only game they lost that year was on the road to Illinois, to, you know, early in the season, and it was contrary. But anyway, the team got momentum. They're ranked. All of a sudden, you know, all that talk that I would argue with people in my own dorm room about ECU football being second tier to the ACC schools. You know, I'm like, no, we're as good, you know, if not better. And then to, to line up and play NC State in that Peach Bowl game. And I know this this leads into some other moments you're going to ask me about. But the uh, in, you know January of 92, but it was the 91 season. I didn't miss a game. And, so, and I got lucky. I got tickets to the Peach Bowl. I got to go. So that whole experience just that, that I think that's when you fall in love with a school because they they give you something to fall in love with and it was kind of a it was a symbiotic relationship you know we were at every game and we're cheering and going crazy and, and the football teams it, responding to it and it was incredible and the players who, who went through to go on to the NFL it was just a fun fun time and I hate it for our, our fans during the Mo years and, and uh, the beginning of the Houston years who didn't get a, a chance I mean we I had a friend of mine one of the kids that works with us he didn't see one bowl game or one winning season 
And I just looking back, that sucks. That just sucks. I mean, that you didn't get the kind of experience that I did. And I think that that's how you you parlay that into you join the Pirate Club, the Alumni Association, because you had such an amazing time at school. But if you had a rotten time and you didn't go to games and you didn't get to feel those things, I think I think it all works together. So that's that's one of the reasons why I stuck with it. Okay, you talked about the football. What was going on in basketball? What basketball, was going on in baseball. Uh, Eddie Payne was basketball in the early '90s, and and they had the everybody looks back at that '93 season like it was incredible. They were, they were terrible. They were ten and sixteen. They they sweep the CAA tournament and uh, <laughs> go to Greensboro and but lose to Carolina. But they did. They got that '93 <laughs> banner up there. We went to the NCAA's, but you go lose to twenty uh, to Carolina, who did go on and win the national championship that year. But it was we went to the games. It was fun. It was rowdy. But we got to see some like back then. JMU was in the CAA. With East Carolina, we got to see Lefty comes down. Come down years later when you were at VCU. I think I was already at Channel Nine by then. What years were you there? It was like uh, mid late nineties. Yeah, I was at Channel Nine by then. Yeah, yeah, I was at Channel Nine by then. So uh, that that was fun. Baseball, Coach O, Gary Overton was our head coach, and back then the jungle was the jungle. It was about all those awful pine trees that were just—I mean, not, I, you know—I loved it. I thought it was a great look because when you're in it, because you're shaded, you got this tunnel, and then um, we would put up buckets. We'd, we'd sit at Stratford Arms. I had some friends that lived over there. It was the apartment complex across the street. We would walk over with buckets. We have to—we you know, were students who had to pay anyway, but we'd rather stay out in the jungle and heckle whoever the left fielder was. So, and, and you'd have a few smart guys that would figure out a way because back then there was no internet so you had to find out who these people were these left fielders were so you get the scorecard you see where they're from and then you just make fun of them so we took two two buckets a two by four and we'd have a whole string of buckets and two by fours and we would stand up out there on the, on the fence and just yell and heckle and have a blast couldn't tell you if any of the teams were any good didn't matter <laughs> I remember the trees when I first got here. The tailgating was out in there, yeah. and, and I went out there in a golf cart one time, and that was crazy. But yeah. I didn't get to see baseball games there. It, was, it had already converted by the time I got here. Okay, your six or seven years go by. <laughs> <laughs> you can call me Doctor Meador if you want, but it'd be inaccurate. <laughs> and what? Uh, and, and what were you going to do when you graduated? I didn't know, and um, I knew I was year two, and um, somebody told me I was trying to do business and it just wasn't clicking i didn't like it this is how stupid i was as a student as a student i want to find out what i want to do in life and i don't know what that is so i see this class called planning i was like okay let me get that that means i'm going to plan my life out right <laughs> now i get in there they're talking about city planning and ordinances and i'm like what am i doing in this classroom that's how stupid i was or ignorant i should say and, and uh anyway i got out of that obviously but uh communications a buddy of mine was in communications and he um he wanted to be on espn you know everybody has that 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 dream of being on espn and i didn't i never wanted to be on espn i just wanted to get into it i didn't know what i wanted to do but i knew i wanted to get into athletics and when i started interning uh, one of my classmates shore hawkins who's now a, a news director in Richmond, Virginia. She said, "Hey, you know, I'm interning with Brian Bailey," and I was like, "You're the dude with the mustache." By then, he had shaved it, but you know, um, he said, "Yeah, yeah, he's, she, he's he's real intense, but you'll you'll like working with him. You'll learn a lot." So I went in that year to intern. It was '95, and and I was a rising senior, and I loved it. It wasn't. I loved working in it. I loved the camera. I picked that up really easily, um, and I was I was good at it. And when you're good at something, you hear all this good positive feedback. You think, well, maybe that's the direction I should go, and when I graduated in 96, let's see, it was May of 96, 
And um, that tells you how long I was. I'm dating my. You know, now you got the full yeah, picture. Seven years doing the math. Aren't you? <laughs> hey, I got the full experience, Coach. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, you know, Chris Stansbury, who now works for um, on campus. You know, he was the number two guy at that time. He said, "Hey, well, let's put you on the anchor desk." I was a train wreck. I didn't know what to do. Read a teleprompter, and then that's when I realized I was better at ad libbing. So I would write just a quick intro and then ad lib the highlights as I saw them. So I enjoyed doing it that way. It wasn't so scripted and and whatever. So, and I started doing the weekend Fox stuff. And from there, um, Stansbury left. I took his spot. Um, and then uh, from there, you know, it's, you know, that's what I did. I was the weekend guy at Channel 9 and decided to stay in the area. And, and I enjoyed every second of it. So you weren't, you weren't doing the teleprompter? You're, you're ad lib. No, no the just thing. the intro. Just the intro. And then I would put ad lib highlights. But, but then, <laughs> but then, oh, you got the, the, you know, the one, the one deaf guy out there who didn't like it complains. Like, I want to be able to, and I'm like, come on, man. So closed captioning, you have to, if I think for a 30 minute show 75% has to be uh, captioned well you get the meat or sports cast and, and only about 10% so I'm driving the number down so they told me at least type something in there so I would just type something in there and and uh, uh, they, we we channel 9 was different from channel 7 channel 9 you had an actual production assistant roll the prompter so you could read and I'd have them skip past to the next story and then I would ad lib my highlights and have fun with it sometimes I get in trouble with it um, well I, I got I got so many complaints from from doing that I'll tell you that's that's for off the air but um, uh, I, a lot of fun. You know, Channel Seven uses a foot pedal, and you have, you have to you, as you control it yourself. So uh-huh. if you mess up, yeah. you better have the you better be able to do you know multitask. And um, anyway, that's the way they used to do it. Uh, they don't do that. They don't do that anyway. They don't do it anymore. But you know, that was all that all that stuff was a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, um, all I cared about was wanting to be at the events. I love being at the events. The, the TV stuff I didn't care anything about. I wanted to be a part of it. You you roll up back then you, uh, the Dally Fickland Stadium, you would roll up underneath the south side and just park right there behind the steps, run in and you go do your job. And it was amazing. And then obviously they, you know, as it got bigger, you, you know, now there's media parking, you have to hump it a couple of miles. It wasn't a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, what was it like covering your alma mater? It was incredible, and I mean, um, I mean you're still a fan. This thing. Still a fan. It was hard because I'm still. Uh, I'll never forget. It was a baseball game, actually. Steve Salargo was a was a player in uh, the late '90s, mid late '90s. Uh, he played a little bit with Cliff, uh, right around the turn of the uh, in 2000. Great guy, outfielder. There was one game. Yeah, I used to hang out with those guys because I was at that age where we all were around. There was they were a little bit younger than me, but we still all hung out. We go down to Hams, this old uh, bar restaurant downtown, and Salargo became a really good friend. I Tams. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. And uh, so, Salargo uh, hits two home runs. They beat William and Mary and like whatever it was. And so back then at Harrington Field, as as a uh, shooter, you didn't shoot behind up up where like Leclerc is now. You have to shoot up on that level behind. Back then, we'd open the gate and walk in and shoot inside the stadium on the ground level about 10, 15 feet away from the batter. So you had to be on your best. Back then, it didn't matter. They didn't care. So, But it made for really cool shots when a guy hit a home run, you ran out to home plate. So I ran out to home plate, and I still have this video to this day. Steve's coming down. He sees me. And he gives this big, ah, me door. And he puts his hand out. So you see me, this, I'm shooting the game. And I stick my fist out. And it's right in the lens of the camera. We fist bump. We're jumping up and down. I'm like, that's where I crossed from being a journalist at, to being a fan. And I couldn't help it. It just happened. But it just, But I guess that's when you're, there's no other game in town. It's not like I went to NC State and I'm covering Carolina or Wake Forest or whoever or Duke. I'm, it's East Carolina. We're the only you know game in town. So I think I got away with a little bit more of that kind of thing. How many different jobs did you have in television? Uh, 
well, let's see, uh, accounting production assistant, news, news photographer starting out, and then, and then this is within a three-month span. I was in school when I was a production assistant. Then news photographer, which I hated that. That was horrible because I saw some bad things. Um, I mean, some some you know, some you know car accidents and things like that you want to forget. And that, well, I knew I, um, there was a family that had a tragic, uh, there was a tragic fire, and um, the kids were killed in the fire and um, oh. smoke inhalation. Sorry to bring it down, but I walked into Brian Bailey. Brian Bailey told me to take the week off because he saw how I looked. I just handed the tape off to the production assistant and said, I can't do that anymore. I, I can't do this. And um, that's when they opened it up to a three-person department and I got in as the number three. It was like right after that. I just couldn't do it. It was it was too hard. I was too, I wanted to see the good things in life and not, here you are with a camera and this family suffering. I've got to shoot them, like video. I've got to video them. That, I'm not, that's not in my DNA. I just, I hated it. I thought I was violating their privacy. It's, I was not cut out to be a news journalist It was or a videographer. So that's when I knew right then and there, it's sports or nothing. So I haven't talked about that in a long time, actually. But yeah, that, that, that probably was the reason why I knew all in. Uh, sports because I didn't know at that time if I was going to give news, sports, whatever. Now you and I've done a lot of things together, but but I mean you're as comfortable and as good on one side of the camera as you are on the other. Now, I'm definitely more comfortable behind it. Uh, on it, I think I get I get in trouble because I get too uh, relaxed. And you got it. There's a certain you have to behave a certain way. Um, I, I'll give you an example. I, it was like uh, today. I can talk. We're talking. It's you and me talking. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was a. I think it was the year Wimbledon. Um, the, yeah, the streaker runs out. If you remember, this has been like 20 years ago. Streaker runs out, and he he puts his hands behind his head he's completely naked and he starts swinging at the royal family was sitting in the box and all I said was um, he runs out the, whatever I said he ran on the court and he showed the uh, he showed the, the royal family the um, his jewels of his own you know just being funny <laughs> the crown jewels his crown his crown jewels that's what I said oh yeah I got ripped for that one <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> I got ripped for it. So I, I, there were a couple of times where either the news director or Bailey would say, hey, hey, tone it down a little bit. It's, it's, you got to get the information across. So, but I was like, still, you can still have fun. That would have been spectacular in the day of social media. Yeah, oh, yeah. That would have still be out there floating around somewhere. <laughs> I'm probably glad that it wasn't stuff like that wasn't around. All right. We're going to talk a little history now. Oh, boy. ECU history. Okay. Off the field, not not games, contests, whatever. What are the five most impactful moments in ECU athletics history? Okay, to, I, to nail it down to five is is difficult. Um, there have been there have been several. Uh, before my time, I can't speak to that. I know the Clarence Stassen fishes of the world, the Leo Jingas did amazing things, right. and they, they go down with being as influential people as well. But I, I can't speak to any of that. I can, I can tell you what the history, historians told me, but the things I've seen with my own eyes, right. um, I can tell you, uh, you know, facility-wise, uh, when we got the upper deck and we expanded the stadium and it, it became like a big-time look, I remember walking with Steve Logan out on the field and we were getting ready to shoot an interview about it. And he stopped and looked up at it. He said, that's a big deal right there. That's a big, big deal. Yeah, I said, Pirate fans didn't understand what a big deal that is. And got, getting into Conference USA at that time because you know we were independents. We kind of had a soft contract with them for the Liberty Bowl or to represent. Things that are so, probably related. Right, 100%. And um, so the, the, the facility upgrades across the board, Clark LeClaire Stadium. I mean, I, I remember Keith rolling out there in his wheelchair. And that, that for me, was an impactful moment. What year is that? Oh, gosh. Uh, 2000, what was it? Through uh, one or two, somewhere along in there. My dates are probably off when we've actually built that thing. 
because uh, I remember okay. early 2000s. Yeah, probably probably mid, yeah, because he 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 went downhill so fast in my my years. I know I covered it, and then I was out for one year uh, selling life insurance. You didn't ask me. I didn't, you said what did I do in TV? I sat out a year, did life insurance, was the biggest mistake of my entire life. That was horrible. <laughs> oh wow, that was horrible. And, but I got back in with Channel Seven. I never forget this guy. I was selling life insurance. I'm sitting on this guy's couch, and the guy's just staring at me like I got a third eye. And I finally said, "Hey, man, uh, are you okay with what I'm telling you?" Man, I just got one question. I'm like, "What's that, buddy?" He said, "He said I'm trying to figure out why the sports guy sitting on my couch trying to sell me life insurance." <laughs> and I was like, "Say so you had the same question?" I said, "Me too, buddy." And that was it. That was the last one. I was like, "I'm done." And then uh, ITN had called and said, "Hey, you, your year's almost up. Would you like to get back in it?" I was like, "Yes." I would. I very much. I very much like to take that huge pay cut and come back to work and TV. But uh, influential stuff. Um, you know, I, I think Keith's whole story falls into that for me, anyway. Um, influential things. Uh, yeah, upper deck. Upper deck. You would say Clark uh, the, Leclerc. The boneyard was a big one. You know, that was a big one. Um, uh, Menji's when they when I first uh, got there, and this was around ninety five. I want to say uh, ninety four, three ninety four. My dates aren't as good. Um, when they did the expansion to Menji's. Now looking right. back, you look at Menji's now, and you say that place needs a, a renovation. There's no question it does. But if you had seen it before, you saw it before. Um, well, actually, you know, you probably did. No, I only saw the you new, saw the gray. You yeah. saw the gray building. Yeah, we call it the gray because um, it's gray everywhere. Um, but uh, the old, it like an old gym. You know, the old wooden bleachers. Institutional and, gray. It, it was. It, it, oh, it is. It is. <laughs> it's like what? Why? Isn't it? Shouldn't it be pink if on the walls to make us calm down? No, it was, it's gray. It looks like a, a prison or an institute. Um, but anyway, uh, seeing that when it when it was built, we thought, wow, this is great. And then once I started traveling to other schools, I realized, oh, that's not great at all. We got to do better. And they are. They're, they're, what they're doing with the seating in there is going to be fantastic. And, and um, so renovations, I would say, that's kind of a blanket uh, statement. Yeah. Um, the Terry Holland Complex on the Hill, we call it the Olympic Facilities. That was huge. You know, you know, getting that track, getting the new softball and lacrosse fields or soccer field at the time wasn't lacrosse. Um, having all that built. Obviously, Clark Claire's team. Those things made it took you to the next level of what a, a university should look like, and, and Terry Holland falls into that because he pushed for that. He he had seen uh, facilities that were so much better than what we had, but with that, you got to raise the dollars to get it done, and sometimes that doesn't happen like you would want it to happen. So that's a big hurdle you have to overcome. Okay, this will be an easy one. All right, I think the five biggest moments. On the field, okay. Yeah, that's easy for me because you got to stay on the court and you too. Can, you can go all the way back to when you, you know, when well, the you peach remember. ball, the peach ball. Uh, well, as peach a student, number one, the peach ball is number one. I mean, everybody says that, and it's it's kind of a running joke. Yeah, you're one big. Yeah, but if you have been a part of that whole that, that whole thing was incredible. The whole we believe um, it was incredible. The whole thing was incredible. Um, after that, for me, Liberty Bowl in '95 because I was a student, and that's the first time I got to work behind the scenes. And um, uh, they 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 told me if I flew down there, um, they, I could stay with. Channel 9 guys and I could work with them all week and we're doing a live TV show and I got to see a live production all week long doing live shots and everything else and I was like this is where I want to be this is incredible this is this I know this is what I want to do I guess I was a junior at the time that was a big one. Third year junior? You're, yeah. No, I, hey, let me think about it. No, actually, once I got to be a junior, I crushed it. Once I got into my major, I made the chancellor's list twice, dean's list twice. So there you go. I did, I did do well on the back end. The front end, eh, <laughs> not so much. It took a little time for me to grow up. You know what I'm saying, Mac? Anyway, so uh, the third one, and you're, you're going to call BS on me, but it was uh, you guys beating NC State. I, I had chills go down my back when you know, I'm watching Sam and James, and they're just hitting threes. And at the end, when um, the Wolfpack misses whatever 
shot that at the, I had a sh- I was shooting it, and um, it, the, sh- the shot didn't matter because I think Jenkins has just made a couple of free throws. Yeah, shot didn't matter. Um, the miss comes. I pull out, and the fans go ro- tearing by me, just jumping up and down. Yeah, I had shot the Marquette games, the back to back number nine upsets. Nothing compared to knocking off NC State because it never happened before. And on that floor, and I remember sitting and in, in interviewing you after the game in that room, that classroom. And uh, we're shooting, and um, I'm shaking because I couldn't believe we just beat NC State in basketball. Because growing up on Tobacco Road, that was a dream. That was not something we could do. And so seeing it uh, be accomplished right there on the court in front of me with my own eyes, and I'm working it, I, it's about to give me an eyeball sweat, as Coach Ruff says. It, it's, it's, that, that was an incredible moment. Um, other ones, the uh, winning the regional here. A couple of times we won the regional here and seeing the dog pile. And the year we beat, in, beat NC State, uh, seeing Cliff come back um, because he was a friend back in the day and seeing those teams under uh, Keith LeClaire seeing them win the regional and then hosting that super and thinking we were going to win it I mean I'm, I remember running down to the uh, we're, we were up by five runs whatever it was and I ran down to scales to get a wireless like Mike because Brian Baylor's going to have to run out on the field and find Cliff and then I come up and it's tied or whatever it was I was like what happened because I, I thought we were going to Omaha so that I would say those those moments were probably the biggest um, you know, you know there have been bowl games we won like St. Pete was a lot of fun but to, to give me chills like the NC State win or Peach Bowl or Liberty Bowl those were those those were probably the top ones. The five most influential people associated with ECU athletics. You're gonna be and surprised at some of this. And I understand that you don't go all the way back to no, I don't. You know, to because Clarence or Leo, or, yeah, sure, sure, things. yeah. And because die is another great one that I, I just didn't. Even when I was growing up, I didn't pay that much attention, so I didn't. I don't remember. Uh, I don't say Bill Lewis in that category. That was a great year, but you know he bounces for Georgia Tech just a couple a month later, whatever it was. So I don't consider you know him. Um, I think. Terry Holland was very influential because he had a bigger vision for what the university could be. Execution, you know, that's that's up for debate. Um, I felt like I remember one of the uh, journalists say um, Terry Holland's just sitting on the front door of the Big East and camped out and won't go away until they let him in the front door. And so when that finally happened, even though it was football only, it opened up the doors to eventually the American Conference, and that, those are big deals. I mean, that, you know, having a bigger vision for what the university can be, bigger than what you think it it, it should be, or maybe could be. Um, I think he's definitely somebody who's who's on that list. Um, I think uh, given off field stuff, as far as um, you know, charity and things like that, uh, what happened to Keith and what Cliff Godwin has been doing. And um, you can put the, lump them into one uh, one part or one answer for this because they've raised tens of thousands of dollars. Cliff has every year for the the fight against ALS. I think that's a big deal. It gets the community involved. Those kinds of things stand out to me. Uh, what have I got for top five? I I know it. When I look back at the people who made the biggest difference. It doesn't necessarily have to be a positive difference or a positive uh, impact because I could sit right here and say influential. Well, we had an AD, you know, just a few years ago who was very influential. He, you know, he fired a coach while having a back, having a guy ready to go. And you and I have talked about that. What are some of the negative things that happen when you fire coaches and you don't have a plan? You, have, you fire a coach and you shouldn't fire them. You know, I have that. That's influential because. 
you go through you know three seasons of you know we call March 9th uh, Scotty Mo Day because it was three nine three and nine three years in a row. Gosh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's terrible, but that's but you set something back that many years. He, if if there had been somebody locked and loaded and, and he was an up and coming star that was gonna off we go, you know that's that's one thing. Well, you you get rid of somebody like that and you turn the fan base against you. That was hard. That was probably the worst time of of ECU athletics of any kind and seeing those empty stadiums we we would pan the end of the game and there're just a couple thousand people that's influential you have influenced it in a negative way and one man made that choice and the, here we are and one can make the argument that that uh maybe rough time was was coming to an end get one more or you, you don't make that decision unless you've got somebody locked and loaded period because now you've ticked off everybody who loved the guy who may not have known maybe it wasn't trending in the right direction you don't know we didn't really know because he's, he's out there with a third string quarterback who didn't had a broken hand for gosh sake and he still won five games so you're gonna fire that guy with no plan in place i think uh as much as much uh, as i get credit as i've given terry holland i didn't like getting rid of you i thought it was a bad idea i didn't like it and uh, a lot of people would disagree i disagree <laughs> with them uh, you got five seniors rolling in the next year um uh, i didn't like uh, logan when uh hambone got rid of logan i didn't like that at all i thought it was a terrible move so influential people sometimes influence in the negative way okay uh on the field disappointments um yeah, I think uh, I just mentioned all those those three. And you, did, you tied in. Uh, I think tied I tied that in perfectly. To the, to the yeah, thing. I kind of umbrella the whole thing, but uh, that that was disappointing. Um, I hate when um, you you feel like you're you you've got something special going on, and all of a sudden, like the super regional a couple of years ago, that hurt. You know, I thought we were going to Omaha, and I thought we were going to be able Wait, to Texas. Yes, and um, we're, we had won the first game. We're up big in the second game. And I think I would never I would never tell us to Cliff because he's a good friend. But I felt like after that second game, just like Texas Texas Tech the few years before, you you're up in the first game, you have a chance to win the second game. We had a really good chance to win the second game against Texas, and then to lose that game was heartbreaking. And then you can you knew the next day was probably not going to go well, and it didn't go well either in both places, both super regions. It just didn't go well. And and um you know you could say you're out of gas, you could say it was a letdown from the day before. But uh, that that was a big one because I really wanted to get to Omaha and and um and finish the the what the whole twenty three we'll get to Omaha thing. We've been playing that for a long time and we still haven't gotten there yet. And I know I know and there's nobody who wants it more than Cliff. Trust me on that one. There's nobody who wants to get there us there uh, more than Cliff. Those those were that was a big one. Um, uh, seeing Marcus Crandall get hurt in ninety five, his, his leg completely cracked sideways. Uh-huh. That was hard to watch. Uh, you know, just being a, a fan of his and knowing him a little bit, um, things like that are, are hard. But as far as like the big disappointment or a letdown, um, I could say the two Liberty Bowls we lost back to back with Skip um, were. Um, I'm, I, you know, you only I only got through four of the, my favorite moments. Hawaii Bowl was another big moment that was incredible with uh, Skip. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Free, yep. free trip to Hawaii? Are you kidding me? Yeah, man, let's go. <laughs> so it was. It was it was a lot of fun, but um, but as far as the the disappointments go, that one probably ranks as the biggest. As far as just thinking we were about to do something really special. Okay, well, you've gone through a lot of history. <laughs> Give me a lot of stuff. I don't know, and, uh, and and some real insight, some things that we had never talked about. But what is? I mean, as a fan, as a as an employee, uh, as I mean, this is your school. What what is your vision for? pirate athletics going forward so 
I, I, would, I don't even know how to answer that other than yeah, football is the engine that drives it. And we have to stick the landing on the conference realignment when it happens. And you and I have talked about it because we don't know. You're, you're actually more insightful than someone would think a basketball coach would. But you know a lot about where these teams are going, who's bouncing here, and what, what's it going to look like? What's the landscape going to look like? Well, we have to stick the landing on wherever we end up. And I'm not saying we sit back and watch. We need to be active trying to find a good place for us that makes sense, not just for travel, regional, that kind of thing. Because, I mean, look, at the way it's going now, we're going to have a coast-to-coast conference. I mean, you're going to have teams on the East Coast and the West Coast in the same conference. That's just crazy to me. When I grew up, it was it was called the Atlantic Coast Conference for a reason. You know, we were on the coast over here. You know, we had the re- SEC, same thing. And now you've got two of the biggest football programs, or programs that, for that matter, going into the SEC. You've got the Big 12 doing all kinds of crazy. I, I saw, I read something about UConn possibly being, you know, recruited. 12, yeah. yeah, just in Colorado. So you're going to have Connecticut on this end. You got all the other, I mean, it just, it's so, it's, the landscape of it is going to be so, this is such a critical time over the next couple of years. Uh, we have to land someplace that is appealing to our fan base and financially um, rewarding, if not so much as, as a cost to us, because we can't fly across the country to play games that nobody cares about. I just, and we've done that in the past. And it's it's hard as a, as a fan and as, as an employee of East Carolina, I know when things go well, when we had those contracts with Virginia Tech and Virginia, NC State, Carolina, obviously we had to play those guys, South Carolina, those are the games we all got excited about. And so and, and I'm loving that we're going to go to Michigan this year. It's going to be an interesting place to go play a football game, hopefully play well. But I would rather us have regional games outside the conference and, if possible, in a new conference where we are lined up with people who make more sense to to have a regional rivalry, if not a historical rivalry. I mean, I looked at you look at Conference USA from last year. I I thought I'd rather play uh, Southern Miss, given our history, and Marshall than I would Central Florida or, or USF. I didn't care about playing those guys. I mean, it was interesting when we were in the conference with them, but all this um, big market stuff, little market stuff, show me a game I want to see played, and then I'll be excited. I'd rather, I, I love Marshall's. We're back on track with Marshall because we went so long without playing those guys, and we've got the, the history with them is, is immeasurable, in my opinion, because of what happened. And so, the, and, and the speed bumps to get there money's obviously the biggest one you know and market tv market size it's it's i know terry used to always spin it he would say you know we're not market as far as television goes at the time around 100 or so he's we're actually much higher because you have to consider that southeast virginia market the way he always gives <laughs> yeah and then he stretched out past rocky mountain into raleigh and he even includes charlotte sometimes in some of his <laughs> statements yep. yeah, yeah. And i was like yeah you would hey let's go south too let's take over south carolina while we're at it you know so i know there's a challenge there because on paper it just doesn't look as big as some of these big markets but you know when i go to uh, south florida game there's nobody there you know i i, I argue you know is that really a better a, a venue for an event You'll be pleased to know, uh, and we'll tease this podcast going forward, I'm going to do a history of conference expansion, realignment, because originally the only reason conferences changed were academic reasons or regional reasons. Uh, it, it, didn't, it wasn't all about the money back in the day. Uh, and, and, of course, it's gone completely full circle on that, and it's only about the yeah, money that's right. today. But, uh, but we're going to do a history. And, uh, and even back to the days where television, which is such a big part of it now, the NCAA controlled the television until the 1980s. And then that lawsuit between Georgia and Oklahoma 
Oklahoma in the NCAA allowed schools to bargain for their own television rights and sell them, and then the conferences took over, and the whole landscape changed. But we're gonna we're gonna do a podcast on that history. I can't wait, buddy. I appreciate you. That was fun. <laughs> I appreciate you. Man. I, I love the insight. Knowing, knowing knowing the people that you know, I, that you're teeing it off with me. I, I mean, mean, wow, yeah, that's yeah. great. We kicked off with the most important guy. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. I wouldn't have I guess anybody I'm, else for the first podcast. I'm buying lunch today, obviously. No question. <laughs> Thanks also to everybody listening to this podcast. Don't forget, I'll be on Pirate Radio Live every Tuesday at 3 with Clip Brock and crew. So let me know what you think of the podcast and what you'd like to hear about going forward. I hope you'll tune in again and tell your friends and family about what we've got going on here on the Pirate Radio Podcast. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.